Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Tuesday, November 2. I'm Tom Tilley, joined by Katrina Blouse. And Katrina, I got a, a message yesterday from a big briefing fan, Peter Cost, who said he'd filled out the survey. So that was good. Oh, good stuff. That's great. Um, this survey is how we know what you guys want from us. So we really encourage you to go and check that out. You know, how you listen to this show, whether or not you want us to tweak the headlines or dive into those topics every day. So we'd really appreciate you checking out the survey and letting us know what you think. Yeah, so go to um, our Instagram bio. There's a link there to a survey. It's only going to be up for another 24 hours. So if you get just a couple of minutes today, that would be great. It's basically helping us improve the briefing. So um, it's a podcast that you keep enjoying and want to tell your friends about. Um, in today's episode, are you lonely? Are you surrounded by people but still feel alone? Yeah, this is a conversation I've had with lots of people. Lockdowns in particular have left so many of us feeling really alone. But as we'll learn in this episode's briefing, it is about so much more than being physically close to people. You may have people around you, but you feel like those relationships don't meet your current needs. And it's really more related to the quality of your relationship as opposed to the number of people that you do know. Yeah, it's a fascinating interview. We'll learn just how much better life can be if we properly understood loneliness because it's actually connected to so many things that can go wrong in your life. Yeah, so that's loneliness and connection, our briefing topic in the second half of this episode. But let's get into today's headlines. Yeah, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has addressed the COP26 climate change conference in Glasgow. Driving the emergence of low emissions technologies and fostering their widespread adoption is at the heart of our plan to reach net zero. Yeah, so the COP is finally underway and COP, COP, stands for Conference of Parties. It's the 26th time the United Nations has held this conference to address climate change. The first summit was actually back in 1995. And the host, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, opened the event warning that doomsday is imminent. Two degrees more and we jeopardise the food supply for hundreds of millions of people as crops wither, locusts swarm. So that's Boris Johnson with a very powerful warning there. Uh, Prince Charles also spoke. I could only urge you as the world's decision makers to rescue this precious planet and save the threatened future of our young people. Yeah, so 120 countries are represented at the talks. 25,000 delegates will be there and it will run for almost two weeks. And the PM Scott Morrison has hit back at the French President Emmanuel Macron, who yesterday accused him of lying about the sudden termination of the submarine deal. Do you think he lied to you? I don't think. I know. So soon after that statement, Scott Morrison responded with this. I must say that I think... The statements that were made uh, questioning Australia's integrity um, and the slurs that have been placed on Australia, not me, I've got broad shoulders, I can deal with that, but those slurs, I'm not going to cop sledging of Australia. Yeah, it was a little bit of a strange response there, Scott Morrison invoking some sporting language uh, of sledging. The thing was, it was really clear that Macron was accusing Scott Morrison, not the Australian people, of lying. Here's what he said before the the lying bit. I have a lot of respect for your country. I have a lot of respect and a lot of friendship for your people. 
Yeah, so it clearly wasn't a sledge against Australia. It was a sledge against Scott Morrison. Yeah, I think Scott Morrison needed to save some face there. And then there were some text messages that were leaked uh, between Macron and Morrison that um, showed or I guess attempted to show that Macron kind of knew that that deal was on shaky ground. Uh, joining the dots, I guess, Tom, they may have come from the Prime Minister's office. Yeah, I think that's the most obvious source for these leaks. It's very unusual for private text messages between two world leaders to end up in the media. The other thing that puts Morrison in a bad position here is that over the weekend, um, it was the US President Joe Biden that seemed to throw him under a bus because he mm. told Macron that he thought the French had been informed that their deal with Australia was over before the AUKUS alliance was announced and said that the communication around this had been clumsy. Yeah, so clearly a great deal of offence has been caused here. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how we can rebuild those ties between uh, Australia and France, which are pretty important ones to, to keep uh, in good shape. Well, yeah, the French have a huge amount of power in the EU, um, so we're negotiating trade deals and, and all kinds of things um, which can be affected by these relations. And the former New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian has been accused of not being honest in the final day of hearings at the Independent Commission Against Corruption in Sydney. So the barrister for her former chief of staff was disputing Berejiklian's response to evidence that she'd lied to her former staffer, saying that that relationship was all over in 2018. And Berejiklian said she actually had a different recollection of their conversations. So this brings an end to 11 days of hearings where three former and current MPs and several staffers said they would have acted differently if they'd known about the secret relationship. But in her two days of evidence, Berejiklian didn't admit any wrongdoing whatsoever. Here's what she said when she walked out yesterday. And now I intend to um, get on uh, with my life. And I just again want to thank everybody for their support. Um, but my position hasn't changed. Um, every day that I've dealt with the public every day that I've made decisions has been in their best interests of the public. So what happens next? Well, that commission will take several months to report back its findings and then we'll eventually get a report with those findings in it. But Tom, I think, you know, on the ground, there are lots of people who have great sympathy for Gladys Berejiklian. And I mean, everyone's had that dud relationship where they've perhaps picked someone who hasn't turned out to be right for them. And I think a lot of people uh, feel that, that perhaps this happened to Gladys. So I guess we'll see what's in that report when it eventually does get released. I guess it depends how closely people followed it. If if you just look at it from a distance, then that's the line you might take that, yeah, she was mm. with a, a dud bloke and he's gotten her into strife and, you know, that sort of relatability that we've all, you know, had a dodgy lover. Been but, there. But not one who's talked about dodgy deals worth potentially over a million dollars while he's an MP or not one who's lost his job for dodgy conduct. And... For anyone who watched it even a little bit more closely and saw the way Gladys Berejiklian for two days just flat out denied a, a whole series mm. of very, very strong bits of evidence, I think in those people's eyes she's lost a lot of credibility. And how about this? A rule forcing female beach handball players in Norway to wear bikini bottoms instead of shorts has now been scrapped. Yeah, the International Handball Federation introduced new rules earlier this year 
mandating women to wear bikini bottoms with a close fit and cut on an upward angle towards the top of the leg and the sides that couldn't be more than four inches. Yeah, so men are actually allowed to wear shorts and the pop star Pink joined a global campaign calling that rule for women sexist. There was also a petition from an Australian woman in Norway which attracted 61,000 signatures. Yeah, this all blew up when the Norwegian team defied the rule and wore shorts for their bronze medal game against Spain at the European Championships and they were fined for that and Pink offered to pay the fines and now... We're finding out today that finally the rule has been scrapped. Good to see that this has all um, gone the way that the women wanted it to go and also awesome for Pink to get on board. Good on her. <laughs> this is just such a ri- ridiculous story, like forcing forcing people <laughs> to wear bikinis when, you know, if, if it really was about aerodynamics or, you know, yeah. any kind of performance element, the, the blokes would be doing it too. Well, that's what I was looking for. I'm thinking, is it a safety requirement? Is it? Yeah. (laughs) But the International Handball Federation hasn't actually given a justification for its decision. So it didn't really have a leg to stand on with this one. I think it was always going to be overturned. And it's a very exciting day in Melbourne. The Melbourne Cup is running this time with a crowd after Victoria hit its 80% double dose target. Yeah, so last year it ran with no crowds. Today at Flemington, there'll be 10,000 people there. It's a long way off the normal-sized crowd of 100,000 people or more, but it's still a huge step forward. And uh, all around Melbourne, there can also be people in pubs and clubs, Mm. but they have to be fully vaccinated and sitting down to watch it. Yeah, I think this is a a real moment of pride for Victoria, Um, you know, particularly in Melbourne where they've had such a tough 18 months with the world's longest lockdown to finally be out celebrating this day that means so much in their state, I think is a a really positive moment. Absolutely. Uh, And up here in Queensland, I know venues are absolutely booked out. Mm. Um, So yeah, second half of today, I don't think there's going to be much work getting done around Australia. Well, essentially, this is meant to be the um, start of the summer holidays, really. No one really does any serious work from this point until Australia Day. So I think (laughs) this year of of any year, people will really probably live that one out, I reckon. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, in a moment, we're talking loneliness. Perhaps loneliness is one of those modern taboos. Like, people feel a bit ashamed of being lonely, I used to be really lonely till quite late in life, actually. I suppose loneliness implies that you're not happy with your own company. My solution to that for a long while was to use drugs when I was alone. It was only a temporary solution. That's the unmistakable voice of Russell Brand talking about loneliness and what a lack of connection can drive people to do. Tom, when I saw Russell doing this YouTube clip a couple of years ago, it was just before Christmas and it went viral. Mm. It really affected me um, to hear someone like him speak about loneliness and be so honest about it. And I guess you don't really expect people who have such a big public image to feel that way, but I guess it can affect all of us at different times in our lives. Yeah, well, it goes to the point of the whole misconception about loneliness, that it's not about how many people you have around you physically, it's about how you you feel about the social connections in your life. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think Russell Brand is really strong on the ideas of social connection, I think partly because he's been through that battle with addiction. 
Yeah, and I love that he's made a topic that is so hard to talk about into the mainstream. And the woman you're about to hear from is going to change the way that we all think about it. That's her goal anyway. Her name is Dr. Michelle Lim. She's a clinical psychologist who's been put in charge of a new organisation. It's called Ending Loneliness Together. It's a network of organisations around the country that they're hoping through action, research and policy will address loneliness in Australia. Michelle, thanks so much for joining us on The Briefing. I think a good starting point is understanding what loneliness really is. How do you define it? So loneliness is described as a subjective feeling of social isolation. So you may have people around you, but you feel like um, those relationships don't meet your current needs. Um, And it's really more related to the quality of your relationship as opposed to the number of people that you do know. So those terms like being alone in the crowd is very much, um, you know, signaling a a sense of loneliness um, as opposed to actually not having people around you. So you just mentioned it's a subjective feeling. So does that mean it might be different for Tom than it is for me? Describe that for us and, and the different kinds of definitions that people have given you. Katrina, that's a fantastic question. And because it's subjective, um, everyone has very different complex social needs. And also, um, lots of us have different kinds of um, social thresholds. So what might work for you may not work for um, Tom. But I think what one thing that we do know is that while loneliness is very um, uncomfortable and very aversive, it is also a signal for us to do something different about our relationships. Um, and actually, it's almost a, a very much a signal for us to, to act upon them. And if we don't act upon them, they become really highly distressing or persistent. And that's when we know as uh, in the science that loneliness uh, can become bad for health. And, and that's where the, those issues come in. But is it sometimes not actually a real thing? You're saying there that if you're feeling this dislocation, then you need to fix those relationships. But in your definition, you said it's a subjective feeling. So can it just be a feeling that's misguided or the result of a a chemical imbalance, say with anxiety or depression that makes you feel that way, when in reality, those social connections might be quite strong? Well, when it's your perception that those social relationships are not strong, that's where physiologically we become stressed. So it's really important about the perception of how you perceive those ties. It's just as important as the number of ties that you have. So if you have many ties, but you feel perhaps those ties don't meet your social needs, your brain actually processes that as a social stressor. Actually, a more stressed out brain actually leads to more physical health and mental health problems. Um, And in people who may have health problems, they also feel like their relationships may suffer because of those health problems and inadvertently feel more loneliness. So it can kind of work both ways. Now, I know that it's something that a lot of us have a lot of shame around. I know in the past when I felt lonely, you know, either because I've been away from my family or after a breakup, I've really struggled to admit it and I've kind of felt... I don't know, like it's it's been something that I haven't wanted to talk about or share with other people because it's made me feel a little bit pathetic. How, how common is that and what should we be doing about that shame and stigma? 
I think this really comes back down to years and years of these misconceptions around what loneliness is. Mm. You know, throughout our media, throughout the, the way we talk about loneliness and what it actually means. But in the last 20 years, you know, I think evolutionary psychologists and scientists have really noted that all of us um, have a level of, of loneliness that we will experience. What the issue that we have right now is more around not tackling it and ignoring it. And that's where the stigma of loneliness actually perpetuate that. And I think as a community, we really need to start talking about loneliness as if it's, you know, uh, similar to satisfying hunger or satisfying thirst. If we kind of think about just us humans being a social species and needing groups to thrive and flourish, when we feel lonely, that's when it's a signal to say that we can't rely on a community or the people around us, or mm. we feel like we can't. And if we keep ignoring it, that's where we know that we are going to die earlier. We have more physical health problems. It can lead to more mental health problems. So the way I kind of think about loneliness per se isn't an issue, but it's an issue when we start to ignore it or we can't actually overcome it by ourselves. That's a great way to explain it. It almost goes back to our really primal survival instincts that when you're lonely, you feel like you're being left behind by the pack and you could be eaten by the wolves. Yeah, look, it's, it's, you know, and, and in this day and age, it's about not being understood, having mm. no one to turn to or feeling like you have no one to turn to or to talk to. And that's very critical, as we know, you know, that meaningful social relationships help us alleviate stress, but also helps us navigate our environment in a much less stressful way. Okay, so I'm hearing more recently, just in different conversations and different, different, I guess, stories in the media that social connection is so, so crucial to our happiness and, and therefore a more functioning society. So the opposite of, you know, feeling socially connected, as you've been explaining, is loneliness. So is that at the core of lots of problems that we have as individuals as, and as a society, say, addiction, violence, you know, so many of these different problems. Is loneliness often at the core? Loneliness cuts across so many different sectors and so many issues around humans. What we do know and the most robust evidence is around your mortality um, and what we call all-cause mortality. So if you're lonely, if you're socially isolated, so you're actually physically alone or you're living alone, you're equivalently more likely to die earlier than people who are not. And I think that uh, loneliness does lead to many other physical health and also mental health problems, including substance use addictions. But uh, we need more research in uh, particular things. So I'd love to know what are some of the catalysts for loneliness in our lives? Are there any key moments or ages or particular times in our lives where we're more susceptible to it? I think with a lot of people, when they're kind of moving through life and they have kind of different challenges, that's where you can actually be more vulnerable. So this is what we call social transitions. So an example of a social transition would be if, you know, you're kind of um, in high school and you're kind of moving on to post high school, whether it be uh, vocational training or employment or university. And that's a, a critical point where you need to almost kind of focus on building new social relationships outside your comfortable network that you have nurtured for many years and kind of, uh, you know, direct your attention to building perhaps even relationships in which um, 
you know, what we call non-peer relationships. So people that may not be your same age and learning how to navigate that social world. So all these things are really helpful to understand as an individual, but it sounds like there's a lot that we can benefit as a society on, on the whole. And you've actually become part of, you're chairing this new organization called Ending Loneliness. Together, you've written a white paper for a, um, a parliamentary group in the federal parliament, all about basically guiding policy on this area. What are you hoping to achieve on that societal level? How do you think we can end loneliness and, and how do we do it? We need to get organized and we need to coordinate some sort of strategy where we can actually tackle loneliness across all sectors. That we all define loneliness the same way. We all understand what the latest science is and how to actually mitigate loneliness effectively. We need these guidelines to help guide our government so that all governments across the world can really take action. I'm just curious to know, we're seemingly with technology more connected than we've ever been, but do you reckon social media makes loneliness better or worse? We have different ways of using social media to interact with people. And there's something what we call the displacement hypothesis, which is if you actually use social media to compensate for the relationships you may not have in face-to-face living in real life, it can actually lead to more loneliness. But if you're actually using it to augment what you already have, that can really augment your social network and, and your social needs. So the question is really about how we use it as opposed to kind of saying it's social media itself. And the consumer ourselves should demand the development of these tools in a way that can nurture our social needs as opposed to being used to displace us. That was Dr. Michelle Lim, loneliness researcher from Swinburne Uni. Katrina, that was interesting, that question you asked about social media, and she sort of, I guess, broke the social connections online into two categories, ones that displace proper Mm. social connection and ones that augment or or enhance real relationships that we have. Yeah, I know. And I sort of think to myself, like, there's tons of people who I speak to, particularly on Instagram, like, not in a creepy way, but they're in your DMs. And they're people who I don't necessarily speak to in real life. What is the quality of those friendships, I guess, when when you're looking at being in that online space as opposed to being face-to-face and nothing ever replaces that that real-life connection, does it? Yeah, well, it can all be a distraction from you know, nurturing your your real relationships. You know, I'm doing stuff, work with Lifeline and, and social connection is the main tool for stopping people from suiciding. So it just goes to show how central it is to our experience. And I think like Michelle was saying, if we understand it better and work on combating it better then it can solve so many other problems in society like mm. suicide or like addiction as Russell Brand was talking about. Tomorrow's briefing will be uh, an absolute ripper for anyone who's followed the ICAC hearings in New South Wales, where Gladys Berejiklian has been under an intense spotlight. Um, We'll wrap the whole thing and give you an explanation of where this could go from here. Listener.